Howdy, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. Well, you don't you didn't want to hear the debate that Russ and I were just having. Nope. And what believe me, I'm not interested in discussing it. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna be talking well, some I, mean, I think it's fair. I think it's fair if we we should tell people. I mean, it was Tang versus Kool-Aid. Where do you fall? <laughs> it was a heated tang, tang all the way. Neil Armstrong. I'm in team Kool-Aid. No, Neil, come on. Kool-Aid breaks through the brick wall and ruins people's houses with that bull crap. And Tang, all it does is provide you vitamin C goodness. Listen, the Hey Kool-Aid guy <laughs> would be the coolest guy at any party. You know it and I know it. Was the hey was the hey was the hey Kool Aid thing breaking through the wall? Was that a Simpsons thing or was that no a- no that happened even when I was a kid and it was like he'd break through the wall and be like oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I don't know what was sugary more sugary oh Kool Aid no no Kool Aid or a pixie stick it's close oh uh, well cool. a pixie stick is pure sugar yeah but, but, but Kool Aid remember Kool Aid was you know they gave you a certain amount of sugar. Uh, you know, a certain amount of the the packet, and it says, "Well, it's two cups of sugar, a gallon of water, and this packet full of like red dye number three that's going to give you cancer, cancer of the rectum." In about, you know, but but so so that, so you got that tang. All it is is orangey goodness. <laughs> but anyhow, pre show us. <laughs> Let's talk about um the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not who's made the cut so far. That's not such a big deal. The big deal is there's an award that's given out there for TV and radio called the Pete Rosell Award. And for years, uh, Colin Cosell, Howard Cosell's grandson, has been trying to get Howard Cosell in, believe it or not. And Frank Gifford tried to get him in and other people tried to get him in. And he is still not in. Joe Buck was voted in this past year in 2020. If Joe Buck is in, he isn't one fifth what Howard Cosell was to Monday Night Football to all things football, Howard Cosell, like he's in the Boxing Hall of Fame because, again, who interviewed Muhammad Ali every fight? It was Howard Cosell, right? Well, who did you tune into Monday Night Football for? It was, it was Don Meredith. Yeah, Cosell. I mean, you know, please. I mean, the only thing Dandy Don does was turn out the lights. Right. The party's over. That's yeah. it. Zippity doo dah. Like you know, and I tuned in for Namath too when Namath was there yeah. for a while, but but. And, you know, even to the point where, remember, Cosell was on The Odd Couple doing Monday Night Football. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, was, he owned Rune Arledge. Rune Arledge basically had to listen to Cosell, and we talked about the John Lennon thing, all those things. But here's another thing radio-wise that maybe younger people wouldn't know. We always hear now, like, that one minute that CBS does or everybody does, and it's like, you know, this is Boomer Esiason for the, for the blah, 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 State Farm one minute and he gives you one minute of whatever he's thinking about for the NFL or MLB or whatever. Cosell started that. It was called Howard Cosell speaking of sports. Do you remember that? It used to be everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Uh, But, and I, I brought it up before I, 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 it might've been a 30 for 30, but I remember there, there was a big, or it was a, one of those HBO documentaries on Jim McKay where they were talking about the, the Munich situation in 72 and Cosell was pushing to like be the guy who was you now he wasn't part of the Olympic coverage unless he no. did boxing for Olymp for the yeah Olympics. he probably did do boxing but it ended up being Jim McKay and we all know that yeah. Jim McKay earned a lot of respect in his career for the, the ser- being like a serious news guy in a oh sport. yeah no I watched it I, it was 
I'm, I'll, you'll never see anything like that again, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, Adam in, in the chat, yes, yeah. he he broke he broke the, the news about John Lennon. I, I, yes. I heard something that he was informed by like the ABC affiliate in New York, and they were right. they were informed by somebody who was at the hospital. So it basically went right to and the and at that point it was like eleven thirty, and they were on, and everyone so probably Bill Butel that told. Him. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Or Howard K. Smith, someone like that. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> but the point is, Cosell deserves this. And the fact that Canton has not put him in there is criminal. It's really awful. Like, we all have favorite football players that we believe should be in there. And look, of all the Hall of Fames, they let the most in every year. Now, they do have the biggest rosters, but still, sometimes there's like, seems like there's 10 guys. Yeah. And I, I'm looking at the, 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 the list of 15 that they whittled down to. Yeah. Uh, a little pissed off that, that Steve Tasker, who has Tasker made, should be there, who has made the list before, but then not selected, didn't get on the top 15 list. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Joe Klecko is not there, he's the one for me because he yeah. was either a pro bowler at two or three different positions. Right. And tackle and nose tackle. Right. Which is crazy. Like, you know, that, you know, maybe he didn't win a championship, but that's more on the Jets than it's on Joe Klecko. Um, and, the, and, the, and he was in Smokey and the Bandit. So, I mean, just remember that. And NASCAR 427 brings up in the chat. I I wonder if this guy from Wild World of Sports who went through like the you know he he comes down the ski list the ski, and gets, the ski guy yeah it's all the bear i wonder if he is alive still because i believe he is I, I think i remember they did a story on him maybe like 15 20 years ago that guy should get that guy should get rights should get copyright yeah he basically he was doing like a helicopter and he didn't mean to right right but i mean he was showed every week on sunday on wide world of sports and everybody's like oh that guy should have gotten money for that yeah well you know in those days you didn't get money for a lot. And I Love Lucy got a lot of money, but she had to come up with the thought of reruns. Nobody had that thought. It was Desi Arnaz, actually, that came up with the idea. Nobody used to get residuals. So, you know. Unfortunately, we had to see Lucy all the time. Oh, that was a great show. Shut up. No. I, she's from Western New York. Were you more of an Ethel guy? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was, I was not big into Ethel Mertz. Sorry. Was that Vivian Vance? Was that her name? Vivian, Vivian Vance. No, no, no. <laughs> she didn't do it for me either. I just, I, I have, I do not have an affinity for, for, uh, for Lucille Ball. But anyway. I hated Fred. I hated Ethel's husband, Fred Mertz. I hated that MFR. I, I, I love, I loved, I loved Mary Tyler Moore, especially as Dick Dick Van Dyke's young wife. That was a good show on the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, oh she was great on both. She was she great was on both. Oh, don't get me wrong. She was a fantastic. Uh, the, great it's so weird. Like, and I, we only watched that show in reruns. I didn't watch that show when it was live. But what was her name? Laura Petrie. Like, how Laura do you Petrie. remember that stuff? Like, you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, Laura Petrie. Dick Van Dyke. He's still alive. Yeah, he's like ninety-seven. Yeah, God bless him. Anybody, anybody wants dancing? Anybody wants to laugh their ass off? Do a search on YouTube uh, of Tim Conway. It was uh, Tim Conway, Carol Burnett, Dick Van Dyke, and Vicky Lawrence. Uh, it was on the Carol Burnett show, and it was a scene where they were doing like the Mama's Family thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a famous it's a famous blooper because essentially. Tim Conway was going on and on about this story about an elephant. He's cracking up Carol Burnett. He's cracking up Dick Van Dyke. And all of a sudden, Vicki Lawrence says something that 
they obviously couldn't air and they all burst out laughing because they could they were not holding they could not hold back their laughter yeah, i mean harvey corman was always the worst at holding uh, back but and he was great but but tim conway did a pretty good job of holding back because he was yes. really he was a deadpan funny kind of guy but, but it got to the point on that show and i loved it is the fact that they were they were openly laughing at stuff Oh, yeah. and, and they didn't mind, but it's normally. But if you notice, people, Seinfeld did. Jerry Seinfeld couldn't hold back any laughs. Right, like he was always smirking, laughing at the commentary, and or and or, we, or he would turn his head. Yes, yes. So during, okay, all right. Uh, hello, hockey world. Today is Wednesday, January sixth, twenty twenty. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Eklund will be joining us in a few moments, but we will start with the game of the night, the game of the year so far, since it's only January 6th. Uh, the U.S. and the Canadians in the World Junior Gold Medal game. Uh, it is, I, I think, was one of the best all-round performances by a, an American club that I've seen, at least in the last 10 to 15 years at the World Junior. And they've won, this was their fourth gold medal win uh, over Canada, I believe. But yeah. I think this was the most complete victory. And it was only a 2 nothing win, Russ, but they played a great team game and put Canada in a position where they weren't used to it, meaning they were behind. They got punched in the nose. I said this like early in the second period. They were punched in the nose by the U.S. The U.S. came out. They weren't intimidated. They were faster. They were more tenacious. They got the one nothing lead. They got a second goal by Zegers early in the second period. And at that point, I said, there's going to be a response here, but we have to see what Canada is going to do because they haven't been in this position before. And for about 10 to 12 minutes, they were absent without leave. Yeah, I mean, I think Team Canada was the bug, and I think uh, Team USA's defense was the windshield. And I really do think that, you know, they did smother them. They really did. And, look, I, I picked Canada out of respect and that roster. Sure. Because that roster plays sure. to its capability they can beat anybody mm -hmm. and we knew the u.s could win i knew they could win there's no question and i wrote about it in different ways and spoke about it on serious how could they win and one of the things i had said is hey they could win if they could shut down dylan cousins but i remember even on the show we're like yeah if you shut down cousins like there's profanity and there's all these other guys but they when they shut down cousins it really did shut them down for a while which was that was shocking to me that but again that does go along with the one premise that we did talk about a little bit, which was, you know, sometimes when a guy's driving the bus too much and all of a sudden the bus doesn't go and, you know, everybody's dependent on them. Everybody's and dependent on that. Like the flyers were with Forsberg. Like, like there are so many teams that had, have gone through that. Yeah. But that, see, that's more, un, that's more under, and I'm not, I'm not uh, tearing down Dylan cousins because no, no, he's, me he's an no. excellent player. He's going to probably be a really good NHL, but, but, that usually happens with a Forsberg, with a Lafreniere top yeah. pick, with an Austin Matthews, or with a, uh, a Connor McDavid. The team becomes so dependent on them that the secondary players, when that player doesn't show up or that player doesn't have a, a good game, they you know then they have to pick it up, and they're so used to that star player carrying the ball that they they're they're not ready for. Um, I mean, really, I, I got the impression that that was that was a little bit of the case because Cousins was so dominant for them. I mean, I picked him as the M because I you had to pick the uh, the MVP for the uh, All Star team before the first period of the last game, and I picked Cousins because Cousins I think was the most dominant player in the tournament. But 
And I felt that way too. And actually, I know it's easy to say Trevor Zegras should have been the MVP when he won it. Like that's the right pick. Yeah. But if you think about it now, what are Team Canada? What was Team Canada without Dylan Cousins? There were other. There were more people doing secondary scoring for the U.S. in that game than anybody for Canada, and even the game before. Yeah, and and see, it's funny, and I, I get this when a team is so favored and that they don't win, there's going to be recriminations and there's going to be that. Oh, after, there's always, there's always rethinking. There's going to be that after game analysis. What did we do wrong? Who did we choose wrong? Why did we lose to an inferior? Okay. I don't think the U S was an inferior team. You got to remember oh. how, how many, how, first of all, you got to remember how many players from the U S and from other countries didn't get into this tournament because either their NHL teams kept them, like Lafreniere. You think Lafreniere makes a difference on this team? Sure. I mean, Kirby Dodge makes guys. If you want to go with Kirby Dodge because he was there and got injured, that's fine. Right. If you want to go with Beecher and Master Simone and Vlasic, and you want to go down that list for the U.S., they're really good players right. that didn't get to go because of the COVID situation and because of the protocol. And, you know, that's something where, okay, so we have to move past that a little bit. And just go with what was on the ice. But I will say that as far as for the U.S. program, right, their fifth in, in World Junior history, their fifth gold, this game will be memorable for a lot of reasons. And, you know, the shutouts for, for Spencer Knight, especially the way it started for Spencer Knight. I can't tell you how many people were probably surprised when I when I wrote for Full Press Hockey that Knight needs to start the next game. I wouldn't even consider Dustin Wolf, And I like Dustin Wolf, but – you had to go with Spencer Knight. He was the goalie with a pedigree, and right. you had to just let him figure it out. The good thing about Nate Lehman is I might have, you know, not been happy with some of the line combinations, but he knew Spencer Knight yes. from being a college coach. And that was probably the most valuable thing on this whole entire team because he never wavered or panicked from that. Right. Now, Funky in the chat says they rode cousins. Yeah, they they did. I think they that did. was I, and they became too dependent on dependent. him. They were. Yeah, now you know they got performances. They got secondary performances like the you know, new hook in the game against uh, in the game against Russia was fantastic. But I, I, I do think that they became too dependent on their star players, and I also think that the U.S. played an effective. Hey, the U.S. played an effective game. Um, I mean, Pierre LeBrun made the made the uh, observation that the U.S. played a fantastic five man defensive. Yeah. strategy against the Canadians for most of the first two for all the first two periods and f probably for most of the third before Canada sort of started yeah but you know when you write it like that you're making it seem like the U.S. sat back no. and almost trapped and they didn't do that they weren't no. close to doing that they attacked no, yeah. them back then. what's the let, let X give us yeah go, go ahead yeah no, I mean the U.S. attacked them completely I mean yes. that's like that, I mean, they, they, and then someone said, you know, on the broadcast, you know, that they brought Canada's game to them. And, and I'm, mean, yeah, sure. That's what they, that's kind of what they did. It, it, with an exception. And I was tweeting, I was, we were texting about this a lot. I was texting you guys about this a lot. That really bothered me about Canada's game was that they did seem dead set, like for the first half of the game, that they were going to carry the puck over the blue line and, yeah. make, and make plays. And, and the crazy thing about that is, you know, I know that, you know, when you dump the puck, you got to work harder. You got to, you got to cycle the puck. You got to do things. And they've got so much skill and they had so much success. I felt like, it felt like a little bit of a laziness thing of like, okay, well, we, can, we don't have to do this. I, I don't think it was laziness. I think it was tactical because Russ, I, I like, like I said to you when we were talking earlier, the U I think the Canadians looked at the U S defense mm -hmm. with York, with, with Sanderson, with a few others 
that they were mobile enough that if we if they played dump and chase, they would be able to be quick enough to get yeah. back into the corner and get the puck and just turn it the other way instead of yeah. them being slow enough for the big Canadian forwards to lay the body on them and, and steal the puck. I think it was tactical. And then at, at the halfway point, when they're down 2 nothing, they probably had to abandon that and try something different because they knew that wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, it's tactical, but it's like if you're if you're the better team, you know, you can sit there and say the defensemen are are, are strong and, and quick, and they are, you know, and, and all those guys are strong. But there's so, so are the Canadian forwards, and so are the Canadian defensemen who really were like the defense, you know, people all, people never really noticed the fact that your defense is a huge part of your dump and chase forecheck. Like yeah. that is, it, it's your defense being able to pinch, being able to cycle, being able to keep the puck in. Yeah, those little things, and that Canadian the Canadian defense is amazing at that. So to me, this was kind of like a no brainer. And all, what it also does is it also it also sows chaos. You know, like it, it gives it gives some cra- some craziness to the zone. And it definitely was apparent to me that when Spencer Knight was set, he was going to be unbeatable. But if you wanted to throw things around, you know, if you put things around, <clears throat> excuse me, you you could get him. You could get him off off balance if you if you tried. Sorry. Right. Well, I'm going to well, say for a sec. Um, we knew that they were keeping him to the outside and the middle of the ice was getting cleared. It's nice to say that, but if I was the coach, I would have been challenging my guys for Canada who is willing to pay the price mm-hmm. and get in the middle and yeah. stay in the crease and yeah. take that beating. I got to be honest, in that second period, I think the answer was nobody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like about midway through, like there were, there was, there was one, um, there was a couple like really interesting times when even in even the simple aspect of the of the dump and chase to change your line, right? Like, even that wasn't happening, and, and no, and and that really that puts you on the you know in a precarious position a lot because they they had to change the lines, they had to wait for stoppages or change the lines on the fly. Well, I mean, Russ, one of the things that two things that overall impressed me: one, the effectiveness of the U.S. bottom six getting in the face of the Canadian defenseman, not just for like, not just for a shift or two, but for most of the, most of the first two periods of the game. And then I think the U S sort of changed strategy a little bit because the Canadians were, were coming at them. But I think that there was a heavy four check. They were Mm -hmm. on the defense, stealing the puck, getting on them, uh, not, not just physically, but just being tenacious and being in the corner. And, Boy, is Beneers going to be a superstar. Yeah. I mean, that rush that he had, I think it was in the th- early third period, third period where yeah. he went around the Canadian right like there were a bunch of pylons. He's got to oh grow a little God. bit. He's got to grow a little bit, but if he grows a little bit. Oh, yeah, I mean, of course he's going to grow a little bit. It's interesting because, like, with that third line, again, I do think Brink sort of got the short end of the stick and being asked to be a four-checker and not being able to really score the way he could score. So I thought he had one of his best games though last night, honestly. I mean, as he, a hockey player but not as like a scorer. Not as a scorer, but he defensively, you know, made a, a, a huge yeah. block um on in, in the penalty kill. Yeah, he was willing to pay the price. I give the kid tremendous yeah. credit, but here's the interesting part. Of both teams, the toughest player on the ice was Brett Berard, the Rangers draft pick, and he's 5'10". Like yeah. just, he was going into guys, he didn't care how big they were. Yeah, and I was surprised there was like yeah. very little retaliation. And you know something with Brink that I really noticed last night, and, and and it's similar because this this player had the same problem with Team Canada in the World Juniors, um, and it worked out worked out fine. Um, and ironically, another flyer is a uh, Travis Konechny, right? Travis yeah. Konechny w- was also put on the third line, if you remember. Yes, um, and he's not and, a third line player, and he was no. not a third line player, but got a lot, you know, but but uh, and and plays. He does. They they play a very similar game. They do, uh, 
you know, and connect is a better skater. We have to he's a, he's yeah. a better skater, um, brings probably better defensively. Yeah. But, but you know, it's but the anticipation, they're both very quick and they're 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 um, their first step is very quick. Like both both of them have very like mm -hmm. Brink a couple times picked off passes with just as with it with like Brink's a very first step has gotten better since last year. Yeah. It has. Very explosive first step, I thought, especially like, and then just, and also the anticipation combined with the first step, picking off passes, things like that. I thought it was a, I was more impressed with him last night than I had been in the rest of the tournament, even though, you know, like he wasn't, you know, putting yeah. himself in the score. And, and I'll tell you what about Beniers. I was having a chat with Shane Malloy, who I do a lot of work with, obviously, and everybody knows him. Um, the thing about Beniers, um, he had a good point. Like when there's a good running back who could cut and make you basically fake you out of your jock, that's what Beniers really is able to do. Yeah, yes. He has he has excellent speed, but it does make him seem faster because he knows how to yeah. Yeah, it's it up, bring it down. That that rush rust was yeah. not speed, it was elusiveness. It, it was. was he went, you know, he literally he went around good Canadian defenders. Like three guys. Yeah, like they were probably like one of the top draft picks next year, though. I mean, oh, yeah, he's going to be in the top seven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Based on this tournament. Let, let, yeah. let me let me let me make one other point, And then we got to talk about the the barrel yes. controversy, which I think is just ridiculous. No, um, this is a game in this tournament where the lack of a crowd was the most apparent because yeah. there were a couple instances and I'd say in the second late second period where Canadian defenders laid out a US player and you know if that building was full of 19,000 rabid Canadian fans yeah. that it would have been a a rush of momentum and and enthusiasm and adrenaline into these guys and they get, they make the hit, and there's nothing there, and the U.S. just keeps going. I think that could have turned things around. Now, maybe not. Maybe the U.S. just goes past that and survives. But I think that the Canadians missed the fact that they had the home crowd there, and that would have injected them with some enthusiasm. We're gonna see. I agree with that, and I, I we we really are gonna do a. It's gonna be interesting this year. I'm gonna track it a little bit in my mind, like what the lack of a crowd does mean in in certain situations, because. Mm -hmm. What, how are you going to get data on that? You didn't really get data on it, but you, you I think the, with that, with the ability of us, you know, the credential people being able to be there, uh huh. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because we've seen, we've we're, we've been there in in situations, obviously, with the crowd. Well, right? After a big check, when a guy kind of does that to the right. crowd, we've seen that kind of. We've been there. We've yeah. seen how momentum can be picked up from a crowd. Yeah, I want to see how that changes when the crowd's not there with the, with a play that would have been a crowd play. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to. Yeah. I want to see that. That's really why I think the NHL needs some kind of like real time thing. Um, I want to see the analytics on like Ty Domi laying somebody out and going right, 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 biceps or something. Right. I mean, you do that without a crowd, and you're going to get yourself killed. Right. By the <laughs> true. You know, no, I mean, the other is, and I mean, it's it's one thing to do that with the crowd. It's another thing. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, you know, there there's there are benefits to not having a crowd. Like I think younger players, you know probably prefer it you know you just less pressure that way yeah i mean when you're playing in front of twenty thousand people and you're and you're and you you know make a bad pass or give up the puck yeah that that's a bigger deal i think if you're a toronto maple leaf and you make a bad play you don't have to worry about getting booed yeah right you're not going to get the booze um, no you're just going to be worried about being pelted with like rotten fruit as you're walking down young street <laughs> and again i think the nhl needs to have on their app like when you're watching a game or whatever a button for cheering and booing that you that would that would equate to something i think that would be really good but you know, instead of just automatically pumping in, I mean, are they going to pump in fake crowd sounds? In the NHL? They're going to have to do something. Yeah, I believe they will. Uh, as like I said, I just don't want them to do what 
with the NFL teams, like my team, the Jets, they still have the same guy doing the same call. Like it's third and five. And it's like, we're at home. We know. Yeah, like, no, no, no. Russ. There's nobody to rile up in my living room. Yeah, like Luno, Luno and goal scores and things like that. You, yeah, I, I mean, a goal call is fine. I'm, I'm give me, give me a dollar for every time we hear the train noise. Right. On third down in an yeah. empty stadium in Buffalo, just, it doesn't work. You got to yeah. do it a different way. You definitely have to do it a different way. Yeah. And I, you know what I would be in favor of? Getting crowd noise from. Pre, like the previous season, right? So that's what I'm, I'm really. I wish they would do that. I'm completely and use it and use that sample. Use sample. They that. have that. You know what I mean? And they, I mean, you can't tell me they don't have that. I mean, they're recording they everything. They, they record everything in multi tracks. You know, they have yeah. they have that stuff. That's what and they should use, as opposed to doing like the EA Sports version of it, which is what they did. Yeah, but, you don't want to do that. That's cheesy. But they did it in the bubble. I know, and, and, and I think those, those cheering is just, it's just very different. It because every crowd has its own. Thing, you know, and I think that it would be way better. And it's not just the crowd, it's also the acoustics of the I'll tell you the difference. You know what the difference is, Zach? The guy on, as an example, the guy in the EA game isn't like a 250 pound guy that just downed a couple of genos, <laughs> had two beers, and while he's doing it, may burp at the same time. They don't do that on the, <laughs> on the EA game, but they do it in Philly. Yeah, 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 yeah. They definitely do it in Philly, and you'll hear it, you know. But um, I do think that to me is 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 a, is a really is going to be one of the more interesting things to look for. Um, but I and I do want to see how it affects older teams versus younger teams, things like that. Yeah, but I would agree, it definitely hurt Canada because they certainly would have gotten a rise. I don't know if it would have been enough to get them a goal. Like you know, that's the first time Canada has ever been shut out in a gold medal game. Like that's now were they pumping crowd noise in there at all? Not much. I, mean, I didn't yeah, doing anything. We don't even know. Like, I mean, I mean, because when we were it listening, didn't sound like any at all. I didn't notice there was no crowd noise, so they were definitely pumping some into the broadcast at least. A little, a little, but it wasn't much. Yeah, and then again, you know, sometimes these World Juniors. I mean, the thing about the World Juniors and stuff like that, we're kind of not completely. It's not a new thing to see them playing in empty arenas because we've seen that before. Yeah, you know, a lot of these games, you know, obviously not like the big final games like that, but a lot of these games where they're playing this Belarus or whatever. Yeah, are being played like you know a couple hundred people. Let's talk about the barrel thing because I guess they used like a trash can, whatever they could find, but um, and it had a Canadian logo. Yeah, that had nothing to do with Canada. This started in, and yeah. I, I basically transcribed. I, I went on and. And I transcribed it for Nate Lehman. And it went, it goes back to 2007 when Lehman was an assistant and Ron Rolston was the head coach. And they started to do it apparently when people used to try and cross the Sahara, the Sahara Desert, a lot of people would die. The way they stopped that from happening is they would have barrels and they would put the barrels in key places and you would get from one barrel to the other. So basically they turned that into like a hockey cliche of one game at a time. Right. And so that's where all of that came from. It had nothing to do with Canada. It wasn't like Juju Smith dancing on the star in Dallas. It was not, yeah. or Terrell Owens. It wasn't like that. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give Zegris. I'll give Zegras credit because it takes a lot of guts, and he backed it up because he had a goal and assist. Yeah. And coming out before the game and essentially saying what I said yesterday on the Buzzcast about Canada, in the sense that you know they're a juggernaut, but really, who had they played and how? And they, you know, they were they had scored forty-one goals for against. They had been trailed for a minute. He he basically said the goalie hasn't really been tested and five on five. What's that? Five on five, right? And who and who have they played? Now they played the Russians. The Russians are a good team, but 
really, I mean, I think it was a valid point, and yeah. he backed it up. He scored the you know a goal. He had an assist. He was pro- he was the MVP of the tournament. He backed it up. If you're gonna hate that guy for having the confidence to say what I think was the truth. Now, you know, Canada could have proved him wrong and made him have egg on his face. They didn't. He won the MVP. He won the gold medal. So he has to be given credit for being, I'd say, very forceful in his yeah. view. And some well, of that shows okay. leadership. And that's it good thing. And some of that, I think, is actually more important when there's no fans in the crowd. Like, yes. I, I, I think that also plays into that, you know, because it's like you're trying to get, I mean, you shouldn't have to get yourself motivated to play for a gold medal against Canada, but still. The, the you know the crowd would definitely get you there having that little bit of extra like you know even if you're put even, i mean by putting yourself out there like the most famous one of course is is, is like mess Messi's guaranteed win it wasn't like he was doing that but you know but the guaranteeing of wins you know that what that does to a team and what that does how it work for you or against it's okay yeah. to me to me i've always loved the kind of stuff i think it it, it puts an edge, edge on it and especially you need that kind of edge when you're playing without the crowds and so, the other thing um you did see a sense afterwards, and, and again, this isn't a slight to Canada, but because Canada's was more of an all-star team, and I made this a point in an article to say, yeah, yeah you might have had 19 first-round picks, but that doesn't mean you are a better team. It just right. means you have guys right. picked in the first round. I always try and stress that. But the point was, when you have so many teammates in real life on a team, like Moynihan and Berard are teammates, like Faber, Lacombe, and I forget who else are teammates. Right. Like when you're teammates in the regular season and now you're on this team, but you're still have your teammates there. That's a big right. deal. And the U S actually had more of that than Canada did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree with you. One second guys. We were there. Yeah. One second. Yeah. Right. So I, I just felt like that was a big deal. I totally agree. I think that was a huge deal. Yeah. For cohesiveness and just, you know, it, it, it was nice. And I'll tell you, I think they should change the, uh, the closing ceremonies now and always let the captain hand out the awards. Who yeah. cares if somebody from the IIHF hands out an award? It was so much better having the team captain do it, patting the guys on the head, giving yes. a hug. It was great. Yeah, and you know, I, I honestly, I, I, okay, we were both in the building, Russ, in I think it was 2018 when yep. Leas Anderson threw the silver medal into the crowd. Yep. Okay. These guys want to win. They, you know, they 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 they're interested in getting the gold medal. Honestly, I don't think it's great to have the team that has lost stand there and accept the consolation prize. Uh, and you know, if they want, you know, they want the gold, they want the silver medal. You know, give it to them in the locker room. They don't. Have, why, why do they have to be there when the other team is, you know, getting what they wanted? And you know, you saw guys like Bowen Byram crying, and I understand. You know, like you. Yeah, They've invested almost two months in being in a bubble and and working their asses off. Sure, was it fifty four days, something like that? Yeah, fifty one days. Fifty one days. days. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of time to be away from your family to be you know and and all that to win a gold medal and then at the end you don't get the gold medal and then at the very end you've got to watch the team that beat you get what you wanted and celebrate and jump all over each other, which they're going to do because they're young kids. Uh, and then Bob Tarkerio says it's about respect. I'm, I'm hey, I'm sure the Canadians respect the U.S. The commentary that they they had after the game said that they respected them. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think it's great that the team has to watch the other team celebrate, almost like it's rubbing in their face. Let them let them go in the locker room and get their second place gold, uh, silver medals there and and commiserate and do it in private instead of having to like. 
give out their emotions on the ice in front of everybody. You, you, I, make, I, a good, you make a good point because that's what's better about the consolation game because like the other team who loses, who's not going to medal, they get to walk away. Right. right. The top three from the team, they get to walk away. And that's why the bronze medal winners aren't like that sad because, hey, we won something. This is something. Something. And the Finns did it with a lot of class. They yeah. did. Right. I don't disagree with that. I, I would never have a problem. I always, I'm always sort of bothered by it because I think it takes away from the celebration too. Yeah. Right. Um, especially if you're there, it's like, it's a weird, it's a very weird vibe. Yeah. Shake, okay. Shake hands. That, you know, like in last night, you know, the U.S. and the Canadians, they should shake hands. The Canadians go to the locker room. They get their they get their silver medal. Mm -hmm. you know, and and obviously, it's an emotional thing. They're going to be in the locker room. It's private. It's a, And then the U.S., the winning team, gets the ice, and it's all joyful, and it's all victorious, and it's all jubilant. And if it was the, right, the other way around, the Canadians would have that, and the U.S. would be in the locker room. I, don't know, I, I, think, I don't think you can do that because I do think there's that natural release of emotion that has to happen. So to me okay. – to me, I think I think the losing team is allowed to go back to the locker room and talk for a second, like just have like be. Well, they they, 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 just be stoic like the old days, Zach. Why do we have to talk all the time? No, but just, just just get off the ice, get off the ice, and then once the right. celebration is over, bring them back out. And oh, like, okay, I see. And like have them line up then and get their medals and all that stuff. That's fine. But like while the celebration is going on, why does the other team have to remain on in on the ice in the arena or whatever? Like right. just, just take them to the room, and then the coach yeah. says a couple things. Coach says a couple things to them right away. You know, you guys did a great job. You know. And give them like a set amount of time, 10 minutes, bam, they come back out. That would naturally be an end to the celebration because the team will be like, oh, they're they're back, you know. I think that would work. I think that would work perfectly well. And I don't know why it doesn't. I don't know why they yeah. don't. So okay. yeah, it was it was a great tournament. And yeah. it wasn't great just because the US won. We I didn't like the fact that teams were compromised, and I'll still say that. But in the end, it still was a success. It was. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a success. It was I, I would say it was a, a monumental effort by the IIHF and the city of Edmonton and you know because after they got there I don't think anyone tested positive so it was similar to the bubble in the, right. in, in the NHL so they were able to effectively you know I mean obviously players for Germany and a couple other teams caught COVID early they came back um, so it was well run. It was, I think, well officiated. I don't think anybody had a problem with all being all Canadian refs. I don't think there was favoritism when it came to any team. No, no. Canadian, Canadian yeah. refs were great. So I think all in all, it was a, it was a, it was a great tournament. And yeah, like you said, Russ, it's not because the U.S. won, but I think you also saw, and and this is the thing, leading up to the draft, probably in uh, July or, or late July or early August. This might be the only opportunity to have an international competition where yep. players like Beniers, players like Elias, who you mentioned yep. from Germany, get exposure to help their draft stock. We may not. We probably will have a combine in Buffalo, but we might not. And and that's only going to be testing, you know, the measurables. It's not going to be testing how these guys play on the ice. So this might yeah. be the, only, the last thing that is g given to NHL teams about how these players can play. And, and there's one last thing. So Eck, there was that interview with the Canadian Hockey League commissioner, and I don't think he was being completely honest because he said they were going to start on like the 21st. That's our intention. Our intention is to start on the 21st. I'm hearing there are places tomorrow in Canada that are going to code red and yeah. people's kids are going to start coming back home like right. it was at the worst points yeah. of the pandemic. So how are you going to start your league again? Yeah, I mean, a few days ago, officials for the five provinces came out and gave 
basically blanket pr provisional uh, uh, um, uh, access for for uh, the yeah. NHL for those teams. Right. That they're, they're not they're not dependent on the 14 day quarantine. They're not giving that to American League hockey teams, and they're yeah. not giving it to CHL right. teams. So right. I would seriously doubt. I, I keep saying this. I will seriously. I will be the most shocked if you see one. OHL, WHL, or Q game the rest of the season. I don't think they're playing. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, Mike, this is the point. The other point of that is, and then I'm done with this, when he said that, that also preempted any hope of, like, some of these Canadian Hockey League kids hanging around the NHL but not getting penalized for playing because there won't be a season because they're not going to admit it. Right, right. At a certain point, they're going to have to. Yeah, I know, but it could be in March. It could be in March, but the thing I, is, it's like for example, like Jack Quinn and Cousins are going to Buffalo, mm -hmm. uh, going to Buffalo's training camp. Now they have to quarantine for seven days, but once they do that, Ralph Kruger can play them up to six games without it having any kind of effect. Sure. Right. Yeah. So then, so, I mean, the camp's going to be over in seven days, though. I mean, it, it, that's. But that's yeah. so they're just they're just going to the, they're just reporting to the it's table. a reward. It's really for for Quinn. It's a reward. He's not NHL ready. He wasn't even. I mean, to to really be fair, he wasn't World Junior ready. So let's let's talk about these contracts that came out this morning and yeah. uh, how they may affect things. And I'm sure that we're going to have some rumors popping up coming off at least one of them. And that's the Bjorkstrand contract. Yeah. Because I'll tell you something right now. If I'm Pierre-Luc Dubois and you thought I was asking for a trade beforehand, I'm asking for a trade now <laughs> because, because they paid – now, I like Bjorkstrand. I think he's Me a too. He's a leading goal scorer, remember. He scored more goals than anybody else last year. For that. Yeah, quality player. You know, he's only, tw he's only 25. Yep. He, was on a, he was on a bridge deal. Now he's given – 5.4 million for four years for five years, excuse me, with a modified no trade. What this is telling me with this is Yarmo saying, okay, we were willing to give you the, some of the money that long term there, Pierre Luke, but since you didn't, you only took a two year deal, we're going to give it to Bjorkstrand. Right. That's what I think this is. And it's like, I mean, maybe that's the right way to manage it. I think that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, knowing Yarmo, this is just like a matter of fact situation. You know, like this is like, yeah, he would probably agree. We probably wouldn't disagree with what Mike said there. You know, like I mean, he would say, "Yeah, you know what? I mean, honestly, we got to do what's best for us, and we if we can get him, we got to, You know, it's more than ever now. We need to make sure we can tie up guys who can score goals for us. Like that's, I don't see any reason why that. But that, you know, now that that money has been set, Mike is right. Pierre Luc Dubois sees that, and it's like, okay, guys, like you know, that's fine. You could pay him, but I am way better than he is. Yeah, and and they're gonna spend the big money on one or both of Seth Jones and Warinsky. Yep. So and you that's know, what Torts would want them to do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. you know what this tells me is that right now Dubois is in a you know Bobrovsky Panarin situation where now the only thing is he doesn't have the the ability to leave via ufa and them get nothing yeah. for him but it's clear like he's made it clear to them okay i'm not happy with the situation here now i'm not happy with a two-year deal making five million i don't have long-term security he's going to want to go someplace where he gets long-term security and he's going to want to go someplace where he can put up the numbers to get somebody to pay him big money and he's yeah. not going to get that in yeah. Columbus. No, right? I've got a massive NHL thing. story here. I mean, but before you do that, real quick, yeah. and uh, finish that point, mm -hmm. name me the top five players who have asked for trades and ended up becoming great players on the teams that they were on when they asked for the trade. 
Patrick <laughs> yeah. What was that? Patrick Waz won. Patrick Waz, but no, but no, but he, but he won. No, no, I'm not talking about the team they um, ended up not being traded and stayed in where he was a dominant player. Vinny, Vinny LeCavier. Vinny LeCavier. Javier wanted to leave, but stayed in Tampa anyway. Yeah. I'll give you that. But that, but, 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 he, but, but by that point, LeCavier wasn't the, the great, you know, didn't have like a great, I mean, by the point he asked for a trade, I mean, that wasn't that early on he asked for the trade. So I remember it right. No, it was before it was before they won the cup. It was, like, it was before they won the cup. Yeah, he was like, was tired 02, of being, like 01 or 02. He was okay. tired. There's one, but you know, killed for being the overall pick. First, Funk, overall Funky, pick. Sa- Funky says Fedorov in the chat. Yep, Fedorov. Okay, yep. So it happens, but it's rare. And I think the I think the reality is here that you know if you're the, the GM of Columbus, you can't. You've got to realize that it's rare. That you, you got to realize that in all likelihood we're losing this guy, so we've got to do what we can to keep scoring around. Right, but what Yarmo what Yarmo will do as an intelligent general manager is he's not gonna he's not gonna bow to pressure right now. They've got him under contract for two years. You could see, and I'm sure right. we're gonna have we're gonna have rumors Zach, before the deadline, depending on where Columbus finishes in, or where they are at, in the division at that yeah. point. If they're out of the playoff race, you could see them. Okay, we're shopping Dubois. You know, we're expecting like your top three prospects in your organization for him. And if they don't get that, then they have another year, and then he's an RFA, and they they still could hold on to him for two more years. So, uh, you know, it, the ball is in in Yarmo's court, but he's got a lot of leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 back, I noticed this a day ago from Specter was putting this out, and now a uh, there's a tweet from a place called Puck Report put out an injury report. They did it. They rounded it all up from the fourth. Listen to this injury report. Alex Golgoski, unavailable to play. Barrett Hayton, unavailable to play. Antti Ranta, unavailable to play. Marshawn, we know about. Pasternak, we know about. Zemgis Gergensen, uh, very questionable lower body at camp. Evan Barrett, un- unfit to participate. Kirby Doc, we know. Nylander, we know. Seabrook, we know. Uh, Suter, we know. Uh, Page, we know. Philip Grubauer, unfit to play. Eric Johnson, unfit to play. Gabriel Landskog, unfit to play. Keaton Middleton, unfit to play. Brandon Todd, unfit to play. And there's at least seven more players on this list. I've got to tell you, for one thing, if you're a fantasy hockey player, good luck to you this season because to keep up with these guys. But I'm also telling you, teams, this is going to be a nightmare of a year for coaches. Yeah. Well, first of all, first of all, the rules, the rules in regards to revealing uh, a reason why a player is on the injured list are still in place from the return to play from, from the, uh, from the playoffs until the beginning of the regular season. And then I would assume the reason that they're going to be more forthcoming at that point is because you know, people are gambling on these games via FanDuel and other sites, and they have to reveal how long term these guys are out and what the reasons are that they're, that they're out. So that that's probably the reason for the change, but I'll say this, like Gergensen's, for example. Yeah. Uh, he's out for the year. He he, right. just, he just had hamstring surgery. They're they're using the cover of unfit to play as a coverall for everything. So that yeah. includes COVID, and we don't know how many of these players had COVID or have COVID. Yeah. Right. And so that, that I mean, right now they're just not interested in being too revealing. Uh, into what's going on with these players. Another big thing going on with COVID um, now in sports, which is like another story altogether, but I don't know if you're following it in college football and other other football areas where some of the kids who've gotten COVID are coming back and having um, enlarged hearts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
right? Myocarditis. Myocarditis. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're seeing this in in, a, in you know a couple of really high profile players, but also a couple of guys that aren't like you know being written about all that much. And I was talking. Well, Ed, Eduardo Rodriguez, a, a left-handed pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, he got COVID. He could not play the entire season because of myocarditis. So, yeah. and who knows? I mean, we'll find out in spring training whether he's okay. And it or also not. affects blood vessels, so that's why when we keep hearing about some people with brain aneurysms, a lot of times. COVID has something to do with that because yeah. it does affect your blood vessels. Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's this, but not everybody, everybody gets affected differently. That's what you're basically saying. Yeah. No, everyone, everyone does get affected differently, but at the end of the day, you know, that the, the concept of athletes being able to recover from this is, is something that. Yeah. It's not as, 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 um, bulletproof as it was once thought. I agree with right, you. On that. Right. And you just now, have long term. We have no idea like five years right. from now. Yeah. Now the, now the other, the other contract that was signed was Luke Cunning. It was not, you know, I mean, you knew it was going to eventually get done. He was an RFA with no ability to sign an offer sheet or anything like that. Uh, he goes, he went to Nashville in the trade uh, a couple months ago, and now he gets a two year deal at 2.3 million. That's good for that, him. That's, that's fair. I think that's a good yeah. prove it deal. Cause he's got to prove to Nashville that he can be more than a 30 to 35 or 40. Oh, you might as well take 30% off his goal scoring. Cause yeah. that's, that's the Nashville tax. Yeah. Now, okay. We're not gonna we're not gonna kick a dead horse here, but I since Zach put this in the chat, I have to I just have to go on this. Uh, yeah, Arthur Staple uh, reported the what Elliot Friedman reported yesterday, uh, a four year deal for Matt Martin. I don't know if that's one point one five. The report from Friedman said one point five. Right. Okay. That's all fine and great. It's still not official. He's still on a PTO. It's been reported by reporters who are good and I trust, but Lou hasn't filed the paperwork. At least it's, it's not on cap friendly. It's not been announced by the team. They have three guys on PTOs. They're in limbo because they can't get a deal done with Matt Barzell. Right. And we have to come to the grips of this. And I'm not saying this. I know Islander fans are going to want to rip me and that's fine. But I'm just saying you have to come to grips with the fact that if they gave Barzell what he wanted, whether it be in a short-term deal or a long-term deal, he would be in camp. They right. had the ability to do it now, and the reason he's not in camp is because they haven't agreed to what he feels are his terms, and there's no telling how long that's going to take. He could be tomorrow. He could be at the end of camp. We don't know. Now, I, I Funky asks, I don't get the four years. I think the four years were – I don't either. It was four years because I think they want to dissuade a team because they're going to expose Martin in the expansion draft. They want to dissuade Seattle from taking him on because then he's got three more years. And, you know, he's a he's a role player. He's a he's a physical guy. I don't think they want, you know, they don't want to have to pay Seattle to keep Matt Martin. So they're, they're making it a, it a uh, untenable for them to take on the contract and having a th having three years for a guy who's what, 31, 32 yeah, you know, that's not the that's not the greatest investment for an expansion team. So I, I think that's the reason why. Yeah, but, you're wrong. There's no more waiting for LTIR. He could have been signed already. They yeah. have the money. Right. right. They they they, yeah. they 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 can they can put a hickey on LTIR. Right. They, they can send Andrew Light. I stand by this is a Lou Lamarello trick. He's used it before. I remember one year I was I I was a pretty I was pretty close good buddies with like Brian Rafalski. And, and, um, you know, when he was playing and I would, and I would get, you know, to talk to him and I knew he was going to sign with New Jersey. Um, and, and just the extent he was with New Jersey, but just the extent, um, but it didn't get announced until like the day before the season, 
I knew the contract. I couldn't write about it, but I knew it for months. Um, I really, this is the way that they work sometimes. This is the way Lou works. I think this is completely, I think Martin knows what he's getting. And, and I don't and know Lou, as far as all that. Yes. But that, so does it really matter that we, I mean, does Lou care that we don't, that we don't see it on cat friendly? I mean, no, 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 no. he doesn't care about that. Yeah. What, but I think what Lou cares about is Matt Barzell's missing camp. Right. But the but the way the way okay the way it works the way they can open up the most cap space according to cap friendly, uh, the the uh, the Islanders are four million dollars under the cap. That's without putting Boychuk on LTIR. He's on IR right now, so the six million dollars salary for him counts. Yeah, that's Lou. What Lou is going to do, and most likely he's going to announce the signings of Martin Schneider and uh, and Andy Green. So they count against the cap and they get as close to 81.5 as possible. And then they put Boychuk on LTIR and open up most of the $6 million cap space. And only then will they sign Barzil. But the thing is, Russ is right. He's missing training camp. I don't and care if he's staying at his own rink someplace. He hasn't played. He hasn't played in a while. It's not good for anybody. No. We don't. But I will say this. Eck, don't you feel that this is this part is on the agent telling Barzil, Stay out of camp. I might be able to get you a few more dollars. That's what it seems like to me. It seems like that. It also could be something that Barzil has some kind of like small nagging injury. Doesn't want to be in camp that we don't know about. Like okay. that kind of. It feels like that to me, as possible. You know, I don't know. Um, but it, uh, to me, it also it also really the year that it happened with Rafalski was New Jersey was trying to sign a big player. Like they were trying to bring in somebody else. To me, this feels like Lou trying to bring in somebody else still. So I don't yeah. know what. I, you know, and I don't know how yeah, that we out. know about Hosang. He gave him an extension and he didn't invite him to camp. Like that's, yeah. I can't explain that. There's nobody that is really, that is, I if, mean, I, if I was Hosang, if I have a job in the KHL, I would go. Yeah. If not, he's the only place you're ever playing for in the Islanders organization. He came back from the KHL, signed this contract right. and wasn't allowed in camp. So he's going to be, so he's going to end up at Bridgeport. Basically right. what they're telling him is yeah. he's, you know, you're not part of our plans. You're going to, to Bridgeport. Yeah. Which because is, he can't go back to the KHL now. He left. Right. <laughs> he's such an anomaly though. I mean, he's such a, I mean, it, he's, you know, he's such a, you know, he does feel like. I he, hope the Kraken get him. I hope they get Brocco and I hope all these guys prove what they can do the same way Marcia so did and, yeah. and really show it to these teams. I that's what I hope. Yeah. But they're it, well, not Bracco, but Hosang's a different character, right? So like, yes, he is. I mean, yeah, Hosang, I Bracco, it was never an issue anywhere he played as far no, as no, Bra Bracco was no. well liked as a teammate. And and like, I mean, but, but Hosang's a different character. So I think Ho Hosang has got the reputation problem. I don't know what he is like in terms of inside the locker room. Right, we, we haven't really, honestly, he had that problem. I don't know. That was like three years ago. Right. This is I don't know if there's been anything else since. No, I guy let dogs in. Was like, yeah, I don't know if anything else has happened with him since that would cause a red flag. Now, I will tell you, I saw him play in the AHL last year, and when I saw him, he still took dumb penalties. And that may be enough for Barry Trotz to say, I don't want anything to do with him. Right, but when, you know, when he got a chance in the NHL, he showed NHL ability. Yes, he did. So I mean that's, that's even that game that I went to, he showed ability. Like he he could skate, he could move the puck, he could score. He definitely has great vision, but he does take dumb penalties and he does seem to have a hard time controlling um emotion like a Sean Avery did. Now this is okay. Uh, I mentioned before uh, the Gergensen's injury uh for the Sabres. 
Gergensen's was probably going to be their third line center, um, checking guy, penalty killing guy. Um, it was apparently a torn hamstring. He's out for six months, which means the season. Yeah. Um, Ralph Kruger this morning basically said, we're, we're going to, you know, we think that a guy like Riley Sheehan, who we brought in on a PTO could fill some of that role. So that means Sheehan's probably going to get a contract, which I thought he was going to do anyway. He was going to get one anyhow, I think. Right. But now I think his role, and, but he also said this could mean a bigger chance for Dylan Cousins. And I talked to you about this before, Russ. He is not. He's not a center. He's not a center. That was the, that was the, you know, that was the thing when he was drafted. When we were drafted. All along, yeah. And after watching him dominate at times at the world junior, he's a finisher. He's a power forward. He's a, coming off the wing, you know, with speed and power and fighting his way around. He's not a distributor. He's not, you know, there, there are, there are sniper centers like Matthews, sure. like people. Yeah. But they also are playmakers, and I don't know whether Cousins is enough of a play. Now they may want to give him third line. I would rather give third line minutes to Casey Middlestad than I would yeah. to Dylan Cousins. Put Dylan Cousins on the wing, but yeah, and again, Dylan Cousins has to be able to get to certain areas on the ice to do his scoring. He was able to do that in the World Juniors, although not against the Americans, but he had a couple chances. But will he be able to do that in the NHL? Like that's a big question. You don't want him going out there and getting frustrated. I mean, Kirby Doc did better than we thought, but he didn't have like a great year. And luckily he didn't get frustrated. And, and so it turned out to be a positive, but is he going to do any better than Kirby Doc? I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't either. I, I just, I think that, you know, right now, it, I mean, I think it would behoove the Sabres organization to not put all the, all this pressure on, on cousins and have him play in the middle. Now, even if it's third line, even if it's yeah. behind, Eichel and behind Stahl. Stahl's under a contract for one more year, and Eichel, the talk continues to be if the Sabres don't get off the schneid and start winning, that he's going to request a trade. What does that mean? Well, then Dylan Cousins could be our number one center. No, you don't put that kind of pressure on a kid. It's you don't. And I want to thank Mob Talk. Um, he was saying that Schitt's Creek you know, has Funko Pops coming out. Um, I already have a set on the way, so thank you very much. I don't know what those are. Yeah, it's okay. You don't need to. Come back. Okay, Act. Uh, do we have some? Do we have some rumors. Good lord, um, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. Right. I wish I did, but I don't yet. Um, no, sorry, I was chasing my dog around. and got out again. I can tell you this from a, from a Philly perspective, Act. Um, there doesn't seem to be any rumors whatsoever. I have something. All right, I do. I can't really. I can't really. Uh, um, um, there doesn't seem to be any rumors whatsoever. I, I said that. Boy, that didn't say that again. <laughs> um, yes, yes, but <laughs> I mean, there's something out there that's kind of weird. There's a couple teams that um that are surprisingly saying that certain players are um are not available, which is now these are players that are free agents. Now these are players that are that are signed, like the, but but these are players that aren't like necessarily in. These are players who, you know, say like third, fourth line or players who fall in from grace who you think that they would love to get rid of the contract. Right. Um, there's two guys like this I'm working on. I'll have a story out later about it. But there's two guys I'm working on right now who have who have, have been like that, like are guys, who, you know, who are there's no reason the general manager wouldn't want to trade them because they, you would think they wouldn't get rid of the money. They're, they're not really like contributing to their team. 
and yet they're told they're not available. They've been they're being told they're not available, which is a weird. So that that's something I'm working okay, on. Are right you now. Basically, telling me that's what Fletcher's saying about Shane Gossespierre. No. Um, okay. No. Well, let me let me mention him, and then you could talk about other players. Okay, what's happening with Gossespierre? Well, here's everybody's Gossespierre. talking about him in, in, in the locker. Everybody in the chat room is talking about him. Okay. So when you see Shane Gostaspierre now, he doesn't have the same confidence. He still misses the net, even in these scrimmages. He skates well. There's no question. And there's no question he can move the puck. But you could see where the confidence isn't the same. It's not the same in his shot or it would go on net. And as far as defensive coverage, it's still not great. And honestly, he might end up being an occasional player or even an everyday one if they're trying to move him. But he's a bottom pairing guy now, and that's at best. There are three teams that that, that, that want him. So people who say in the chat room that don't want him, that's not I know I know of three teams that that are trying to make a trade with him okay. and are having trouble doing that. Um, which is a little surprising because you know, what do you think what do you think the Flyers would want to give up for him? You know, that's like well, they want to give up some salary. I mean, no, no, not give up. I'm sorry. What do you think the Flyers would require? If uh, you say, I will take on Shane Gossespierre. I, I think really if the Flyers, I mean, based on the fact that so far Patrick looks good, they're not looking for that center anymore. I think they would take a bottom pairing winger. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That, that, that's best that's the battle in camp right now. And if they could get a veteran for that, they might go with that veteran. So apparently – Sam Moran and, and Patrick collide as they and Patrick left the ice, uh, but he did come back. Yeah, um, but still, it's still not one of those, one of those things. You that's just one know. of those things that may not show up for a day or two. Right, right. But he, um, I think he came back and he, uh, he's continued playing. But that I did well, hear. I, well, let's just say this that's bad for both of them, by the way, because I did see Moran get gassed a few times, and he talked about that yesterday, and. So you do wonder, is he getting gassed because like it's it's taking more effort for him to get down the ice now because of the way his knees are? It's possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's it's very possible. Just uh just a couple notes here. I will have some rumors for you all tomorrow and we'll also for you tomorrow we're gonna start our start our previews, right? No, yeah. Thursday Thursday. Right, right now, right, right, right. My preview for the Northern Division is up right now. You can check that out. But. Right now, right now we have uh, uh, Pete Weber and uh, Kevin Allen scheduled on Friday to do the, <laughs> the Central Division. Uh, we'll, we're going to have uh, a Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday for our divisional uh, review previews, and also then Friday, then next Wednesday when the season starts, we'll be doing our predictions. Right. Now, I, I want to answer what Mob Talk wrote here in the chat room that the Penguins had to borrow money to pay rent to PPG Arena four point eight million. They got PPE money. Now, again, the partial owner there is a billionaire, right? But what he did was. He was like, look, he got the PPE money so that he could pay the people who work at the arena with that money. That's why he did it. He didn't – was it Burkle, right, Ron Burkle? Ron he, Burkle. Didn't, right, he didn't do it because he needs the money or the Penguins need the money. Right. They did it so they could pay the employees. He did, you know, on Christmas buy Michael Jackson's place. Did you hear about yeah. that? Well, that was, the big, that was the big problem is he bought Neverland right. Ranch – he didn't get Bubbles, by the way, because Bubbles is in a retirement community, and Bubbles will live way past all of us. But anyhow, right? Um, Bubbles is in Florida. <laughs> but no, the point is, yeah, he bought Neverland, and people were like, well, you got a loan. And it's like, no, no, he got that loan so he could actually pay employees, which I think is fine. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a problem with that. It is fine. It's a hard loan to get, though, um, for, for some people. <laughs> We've been through how, it. How thrilling that he bought Neverland. Um, yeah. Okay. That's a time. What are you? What are we here? They have a Ferris wheel there, Mike. Okay. Here, here here's interest, an interesting little note from the L.A. Kings camp. Uh, mm -hmm. Line line assignments and uh, where, where certain players are playing. Is Jeff Carter in there. Jeff Carter is on the second line. Okay. <laughs> with Andreas Anthinasiu on the left and Blake Lazat on. Blake Lazat is their second line center. Now, we know that Turcotte is coming. That's a good line to match up against the other team's best forwards. Yes, we, we know that we know that Turcotte is coming. We know that Byfield is coming. Based on this, I'm they, they're they're going to play. Um, but so but Carter's on the second line, and the top defensive pairing, Drew Doughty is playing with Olimata. Olimata is on their top defensive pairing. Yikes! Sorry, Drew. That, I feel bad for Drew Doughty. It depends. I mean, it depends. I mean, <laughs> yes. Listen, Tobias Bjornfot is better than Olimata. Right. And I saw something where, like, all the L.A. and Anaheim prospects are flying from the World Juniors on the same plane so they don't for, – for lack – you know, to yeah. prevent more exposure, which is, I think, a good idea. I think it was – I mean, you also, you also saw, I think, did you guys see today that the Panthers and are going to be able to use the Lightning's AHL team? Like, the Lightning, Lightning offered – to have the to, that the you know they can send some players to Syracuse. That's good. Um, which is which is nice. You know, it's a really that's a good thing. Um, it's yes. a good deal. So I think we're going to need to see more of that. Yeah, we're going to need to see more of that and more of that. And I think yeah. I do give give the Lightning some credit for that because when you do that, you're taking away some spots from your own players. You know, that's yep. a tough spot to be in. Yep. They're doing it's it their fellow Florida team. And it's for the good of the sport. It is. Yeah, yeah and they want to keep. I mean, obviously, it behooves. The lightning to keep the Panthers in Florida, you know, like they want to have they want to have a, a rival across the state. They want that, that's for sure. No, I mean, look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long the Panthers will stay there. That's up to this team because yeah. if they don't make the playoffs in a couple of years, I, I can't imagine it's going to last much longer. Well, it, yeah. it may not match much long last much longer than that if they don't resign Barkov. Barkov's right. kind of, I mean, he's a UFA, I think, after this year. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that's where spending that ten million dollars on on Bobrovsky may not have been a wise. Uh, well, it wasn't wise because now everybody sees um, Spencer Knight play, and I got texted all over the place. Yeah. Why did they sign Bob in the first place? And I can't defend it. We all knew Spencer Knight was going to be really good. There's no way of defending it. And now that they have Levi and Spencer Knight, I mean, honestly, at some point they're going to have to just swallow Bob's contract and. And let these guys develop, and that's going to happen. If Bob doesn't really get back to being Bob this year, he's probably going to get challenged by Spencer Knight next year. Would they leave him unprotected for Seattle? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think they would. Um, and you know, is that the is that the goalie that you know that does something that that it could be? He could be the guy. He could be like he could be like the goalie. That could knock him into reality. Like, all right, I've got to change everything the way I'm doing everything, yeah. and and maybe that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. The thing is that uh, that Knight doesn't have to be protected. Um, no, but it's still, I, I would do it from a they, dollar they might, cent standpoint. Right. They might. Hey, they could sign Scott Darling to a two-year contract, and that would be the guy they. Expect. I mean, and listen, I am a big fan of Bob the guy. We know him very well. 
had we've seen this guy grow up in the league. He yeah, is yeah. a great guy, but for whatever reason, his career has got sidetracked here, and the and this contract probably does put undue pressure on him. And you know, yeah. it does. I mean, when players make a lot of money, sometimes it works in reverse. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. All right, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Um, we will be back again tomorrow. Thanks. We had a couple of Patreon. What about Panda? Is Panda coming back tomorrow? Panda, Panda, what do you think? You want to come back tomorrow? Say, hey. Hey. Yeah, she, she's a good dog. Yeah. Yeah, so um, remember, folks, without the buzz. Is that a dead ghost on your couch? No, that, that's a speaker. Speaker. That's Beaker, yeah. Oh, that's Beaker. I couldn't see the head. Okay. <laughs> remember, folks, without the buzz, it is just hockey. We will talk to you all. Actually, wow. dead ghost is an oxymoron, but whatever. <laughs>